Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York. And Boca Raton, Florida. It's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. Yeah, buddy. Another week, another discussion on freight, episode 137. Recording back from Orchard Park, New York. My uh, my stint in um, Florida. Got to go to the folks' house for a little bit and uh, come down and see you and get some sunshine. You know, it was nice, but it's over. And we had snow like four days in the last week, but spring is technically here and it's around the, the corner. corner. Kind of. <laughs> What's that? It has it's it's arrived up there and around the corner. I heard the same thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, one of my buddies. One of my buddies texted me. I think I told you to text me a couple of pictures. They were on their way to their first uh, week of golf, their golf league, and it started snowing in Pittsburgh yesterday. Uh, like a little more than a dusting. Like it was like a good inch or two from the pictures. What it looked there like. was certain parts of Western New York that got like up to four inches last night. Um, they're more in like ski country and like in the hills. We didn't really get yeah. much. It was, I mean, it was snowing, but nothing really stuck. But um, supposed to be in the 70s this weekend up here. But I got to go play Army, so I don't really get to enjoy it that much. Um, but anyway, we got an awesome episode today. Uh, we've gotten a request on this topic quite a bit, and I have this discussion on a regular basis with folks. And it is if I'm considering switching from a W-2 broker at a you know as an employee at a brokerage, how can I make the move to become an agent for a brokerage? It's a 1099 contractor and is it necessarily the right fit? Because it isn't always the case. Um, I got to have this discussion with Freight Waves a couple of months back, really, really briefly. But um, you know, we, we're gonna we're gonna talk through it in in quite detail today, and we're gonna break down some of the structural differences, um, some legal things to consider moving a book of business, um, the the financial part of it with managing your you know your money side of it and some of maybe of your expenses but we're going to break it down but hey if you're brand new here we're so glad you found us on this 137th episode and if you've been with us for a while welcome back we're always glad to have you the as always listenership's growing questions are coming in we got some good ones today at the end of the show uh, but ben what's new in florida what uh how's the how's the ukrainian fundraiser going it's been going really well. Um, I think we raised another 1600 over the past, what would have been the past week. Um, there was a, a local person, uh, a fitness instructor that did a, uh, I don't even know what you would call it. I guess it's a fundraiser at a fitness, um, at like Global Fitness. I can't remember which one it was, but they raised about 500 bucks. What was really pretty awesome. Was it like um, a, a lot of people went and attended. Was it like, hey, you pay to get in and we run like a, a public class type thing and then they donated the proceeds? Yeah, it's a fitness instructor that I'd met through BNI, and I guess she teaches a spin class there. So it was a you know kind of like a spin class to raise money for Ukraine, and everybody you know paid per head, awesome. and they they raised quite a bit. Like it was really impressive, cool. um, which helps a lot because you know the initial fundraiser everybody kind of donates, and it's one of those things where you're like it's still going on, and you're not just going to keep reaching out to people. So every little bit helps, you know, as because it's certainly continuing, and it's not getting any better over there anytime yeah. soon. Well. Everyone, make sure to check out the link in our description box on YouTube or the show notes on your podcast uh, app there, and make sure to check out the uh, Guardian Angel, Ukra- was it the Ukrainian Guardian Angel Fund? So 
Yep. And hey, speaking of which, you, you were at a, a fundraiser on Monday for Dingus I Day. was. So Buffalo is like, there's a strangely large population of um, Polish folk in Buffalo, Western New York. So like the day after Easter every year, if you're not familiar, is Dingus Day is what it's called. It's where... Um, Girls will have like the pussy willow flower plant things and guys will have squirt guns and they're supposed to chase each other around and squirt the girls and slap the guys with the pussy willows. I mean, it's turned into just a big party and fundraiser every year now. And this year, um, Mm -hmm. the proceeds went to the Ukrainian, um, some, they they created a foundation for the Ukrainian folks over there. And it was cool because normally you see a bunch of Polish flags, but everyone wearing their Polish gear still had, they had Ukrainian flag stickers and Ukrainian flags. Uh, It was pretty cool. So, and I know I was going to try to post some pictures up in the, in your Facebook group for it or your wife's Facebook group. I don't have any with the Polish flags, but I'm still, I'm going to get the Dinga State pictures up there. So we, basically there's a band there called Those Idiots and they play covers of like popular music, but to polka, like the polka version Mm -hmm. of it. So it was pretty uh, was entertaining. So my wife and I went there for a couple That's hours awesome. and had a good time. So, but yeah, on to the next uh, mm-hmm. string of, let's see, we're past Easter. So the next big thing is going to be like Memorial Day, right? And then oh, Memorial Day, you know, then 4th of July, right? We're, we're just getting through the year here already. Uh, let's do a quick sports recap here. Um, the, you know, I love talking about the Bills and Josh Allen. And it's not mm-hmm. football season, but... They did announce this year's golf tournament, the fundraiser called The Match. So if you remember last year, Tom Brady and who was he paired with? Phil Mickelson and then Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and I can't—I don't remember who the pairings were, but Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady it, played yeah. in that. And they scored mm-hmm. off, but they were matched with a pro. So this year, they're doing two QBs versus two QBs. So they, they paired Rodgers and Brady together against... Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen. So Mahomes and Allen, who are rivals in the AFC as quarterbacks for the Chiefs and the Bills, are now teammates. I gotta, I gotta get Trey, Trey Griggs's thoughts on that one now that our boys will be playing together. Um, but it's June first. It's a Wednesday, and I think it's at. Let's see, because they're playing in. Um, they played Vegas. a Mystic Rock last year, I think, in, in Vegas, Vegas this year. Um, and I want to say it's at, it's at nighttime on the East Coast. So I, I want to say like six or seven or something like that at night. Uh, East Coast, so you know, figured it'll be fun to watch. Uh, but yeah, that'll be. I, I, they they're really entertaining. They're all mic'd up, and you get to hear them talking shit on each other yeah. as they're playing. Which is, <laughs> it's like you're out kind of playing golf with your friends. Exactly, I enjoyed them. Exactly. Um, outside of that, what what happened with the the tournament? The Harbor Town Hilton had one last weekend. Uh, Jordan Spieth won almost. Uh, oh, it did go into a playoff. That's right. Him and Patrick Cantlay. Um, he ended up pulling off. It was his first win since he's had his uh, since he became a father. So it was a pretty big deal. It was nice to see him win. I've always liked watching Jordan Spieth play. He's a really good golfer, good human being. Yeah, for sure. Well, good stuff. He was also, I think he played, yes. He was from Texas, and coming off the Masters, he was very, very influential, I'd read, in getting Scotty Scheffler to play at his alma mater in Texas and helped um, really mentor him which was, you know, obviously last week's Masters winners. Nice. Well, I, tell, the, I think the cool thing about golf is it's literally on four days a week, just about all uh, spring and summer long. So Pretty much. always something to, to talk about and look at before we get into uh, football later in the year. Actually, NBA playoffs are on. I'm not really a big basketball guy. Um, 
but uh, I, I honestly couldn't tell you what's happening with it. But if you're a basketball fan, feel free and throw us a little hate mail for for not being up to speed <laughs> speed on everything. Um, yeah. But the NBA playoffs are happening. There was some controversy about one of the players flipping off the crowd. Um, literally, I couldn't tell you what team or who it was because that's how little of basketball that I watch. So all those of you out there that are big fans, I'm sorry. It's just I, I've got my uh, my focus is usually on the NFL and baseball. Okay, episode today on switching to an agent. But first, let's give a shout out to our friends over at DAT Freight and Analytics. Taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners and you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out a link in the show notes for a free month of DAT in Power Express or Trucker's Edge. And if you are a fan of the show and you're adding licenses, please use our link. It supports us, doesn't cost you anything, saves you money, and helps get us credit. So yeah. That, uh, there's an affiliates link in the show notes and it has all the affiliates we've got, whether it's factoring, load boards, TMS platforms, et cetera. So, all right, so uh, W2 to 1099. So I my my normal job outside of the fun work that we do together here collaborating for Freight360 is I oversee a network of independent freight agents for Pierce Worldwide Logistics. So if, you, hey, if you're ever looking to become an agent, give me a shout and you know, we've got a really top-notch agent program. So. The, a lot of the, the time I spend in work is not just supporting agents, but I, I often vet new folks who are interested in switching either to our company from another agent-based company, or a lot of times it's folks that come from a W-2 model, right? They're an employee for a brokerage and they're like, hey, I wanna go be an agent and work from home and do it independently on my own and you know have a better commission split and stuff like that. So I have this conversation quite a bit and a lot of times I have to, I have to take a step back and remember that I've been doing this for a decade plus, but not everyone is, you know, has been doing the same exact thing as me, right? So they may not be familiar with the agent model. Um, more times than not, they're not familiar with it. So it, it's a little bit different. So I wanted to start mm-hmm. off by just, I just want to kind of highlight the, the main differences and what an agent is versus what a W-2 employee is. And then we're going to break down, um, you know, how it would look to switch over. And Ben, you can try to pick my brain on whatever you want. People love to ask questions about this stuff and it's it's my expertise. So um, I'll start off by saying that when you're a freight agent, you are not an employee of a company, right? An employee, an employer, that's a W-2 relationship, which means they hire you, they fire you, they withhold payroll taxes, they pay uh, a portion of employment taxes on your behalf, Um, they can offer you benefits like medical, dental, 401k, things like that. When you're a 1099 independent contractor, is, is how it's legally described by the IRS, Independent contractors are essentially freelancers, right? Self-employed. Think of like your Uber and Lyft drivers. Those are 1099. You're not employed. You are literally bringing your own car to go contract under Uber or Lyft and take care of business for those who need those services. The same thing applies as a 1099 agent in the freight brokerage world, which means you're you've got your home office. You've got your customers, right? You bring your relationships with you and then in return, you're going to be operating under the legal authority 
and insurance and bond, et cetera, of a licensed freight brokerage company. So in our case- So say that again, the last piece, I, I want you to reiterate, what what are the things that they're operating under? Like, because this is a question that a couple of our, it's come up in our coaching recently and a couple of the guys I've coached have asked this too, is, okay, so let's say they own their own brokerage. Let's say they just, you know, started their own business and let's say they've got customers, right? And, you know, they're getting bogged down with billing and invoicing. Yeah. And they're like, you know what? Like, this is a lot to learn all of this at one time. But again, they're not day one. They've got some customers, like they're doing, significant business, I don't know, we'll call it, you know, a handful of thousand a month in gross product profit, but they can't get the prospecting because again, they're getting eaten up by back end tasks, right? If they come under and they would come, let's just use you as an example, like let's just say they moved and worked underneath you. What comes with them? The company name? Do they get to use your DAT logins? Like what, where does that line get drawn and how does that look to everybody else? So every company is different. Um, I'll explain it from from my perspective and then I'll kind of give comparisons to how some other agent-based companies are. So first of all, you're, you're always gonna operate under their authority because to broker freight, you need to be you need to be authorized and licensed by the FMCSA. Um, each okay. individual does not have to, but the actual company on record, the broker on file has to be licensed. So let's say you went from a CH Robinson to a Pierce, right? Both CH Robinson and mm-hmm. Pierce have brokerage authorities MC. from the FMCSA. Yep. In addition to that. So question. Yes. So just cause I wanna really go like, as you would say Barney style, right? So if I own my own brokerage, what happens with my brokerage? Do I just let it sit there? You Does just, it do anything? Do I have to keep paying it. insurance? Yeah, you, you, you don't okay, have so you to let that run out. So if you're, if you're okay. a licensed broker, yeah, you don't, you don't have to renew yep. your authority, you don't have to keep your bond or any insurances that you may have had. You can actually cancel your insurance and likely have prorated your uh, premium if they hit their minimum earnings or whatever, depends on the, the insurance policy. Um, okay, so all those expenses disappear. Gone immediately yep. upon switch. Well, that's, I mean, that's a pretty big upside. In addition, similar to the W-2 side, all the billing and payables are done by that by that brokerage, not by you. So whether you're, let's say you're uh, a sales rep or a W-2 broker for a larger company or you're an agent, right? You're moving mm-hmm. freight, you're covering loads, you're managing your customers, you're doing all that stuff, track and trace. What you're not doing is invoicing customers, paying trucks, um, doing quick pays, handling claims, those administrative back office tasks that you would be doing if you are licensed by the FMCSA as a freight broker. So to simplify this, that means I do the stuff as a broker, the core job responsibilities, prospecting, finding customers, building my carrier base, track and trace, making sure loads are getting delivered, right? All of those functions. Your role is to provide me the insurance. You're providing me all of my licenses. You're providing me my logins. You're providing me my TMS. And you're going to collect all of my money. I don't have to collect any of it. Yes. Now, the caveat there is some agent-based companies don't provide all of that for you. So I've talked to folks Mm -hmm. that have switched to, to our company. And they were an agent before, but they were responsible to um to collect all their carrier's paperwork and submit it themselves, or to send invoices out, or to pay for a technology fee that covered load boards or a TMS. Um, a reputable company will not have the agents doing those kind of tasks or make the agents pay for it. Let me throw one out. Let me throw one out for you because this one came up, somebody asked me about this this week. Priority one, and I'm familiar with who they are, I've coached a few people over there, but not that familiar with the back end, right? Is that, they're pretty big, aren't they? 
Yeah, Priority One is they're primarily a an LTL brokerage. So Priority okay. One, if I'm if I remember correctly, they are owned by a parent company that's actually a shipper, and I think they do like steel or something like that. And it was this is like maybe ten or fifteen years ago they launched an internal brokerage, grew it out, and then eventually grew to become an agent model and got really strong on the LTL side. So companies like Global Trans and Priority One, mm-hmm. they are agent based. They're very large, but they specialize in one part of the market, which in, in those cases is less than truckload or LTL. They you can still broker a full truckload under them, but they tend that's what their focus is. Like, hey, we're really good with our LTL. Um, rates, we have good contract rates and, and discounts with LTL providers. So that, I mean, that really drives the point home that anybody out there considering this really needs to know who they're talking with and what they're getting provided. Because I mean, this is definitely a case of not everybody's created equal. Pretty much, it could be carte blanche. Like, ah, you get a little of this and a little of this and none of this. And you really need to know what this agent is actually offering you before you can even evaluate whether or not it's a good fit, sounds like. Yep, absolutely. Um, so the, I, I guess I kind of broke down what, what the role of an agent is. It's very similar to a W-2, but think about this. When you're not employed by somebody, um, you have to set your own hours. You're working from home. You're managing yourself. You're setting your own goals and holding yourself to your own expectations, right? You don't have a boss or a supervisor telling you, hey, you didn't make enough calls this week, right? I don't do that with, with my agents, right? Their, their productivity is reflected in their commission check. If they don't move freight, they don't make money. If they move a lot of freight at a low margin, they don't make a lot of money. If they move a good amount of freight at a healthy margin, they're gonna make really good money compared to being a W-2. Now, another big difference is you don't get a salary. You're straight commission in a lot of these cases, most of them. I don't, I've seen a couple out there that'll say, hey, we'll, you know, we'll give you an advance or a commission draw for your first couple of months and then we'll pay you, you know, 40 or 50% commission once you get, you get caught up and that draw is, is made full. Um, but you're not gonna get that 40K base or whatever, right? Because a lot of times we'll see 40K base with like 15 or 20% commission. Um, whereas on the agent side, you're straight commission. Now the commission percentage is typically much larger. Um, and the reason that agent-based companies can do that is because they're selective in who they bring on and they don't have to train them, right? So like in our case, we don't take on folks that are brand new. We don't take on people that need training on what brokerage is, what a truck is, what an MC is. They already know that. They're already they're already educated. They already have they've already built up a customer base. They've already been successful in brokerage and now they want to take the next step and hey, I want to do this independently on my own. Because one of the things that's cool about being an agent that you can do is you can build an agency, right? Not just be a one-person agent, you can build a full office and operate autonomously under that brokerage. So you could you could be the agency owner and then you can hire sales reps, you can hire account managers, you can hire administrative folks to help you out or a track and trace team, and they're all part of your agency. So you, you truly are a self-employed business owner. The only big difference is the company that you are brokering under, that's whose name is on the invoice to your customer. That's the MC number that you're using. Those are the brokerage reviews that carriers are seeing when they find you on DAT or Truck Stop or um, TIA Watchdog or whatever, right? Google, for example, right? You'll, you're gonna be representing whatever company you're an agent for instead of yourself. Does that make sense? And that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And I mean, it really does help and again, it depends on where you are, which agency you're evaluating. But I mean, that's some of the stuff. And again, this is just a personal opinion. Like I'm an accountant and I wouldn't do that. 
Like I know where my skill set provides the most value, right? And it's bringing in customers, dealing with operational issues, training people, and scaling, right? I have no desire to build out a backend to deal with invoicing, to go through any of that stuff. Like it's tedious things that like, I would rather have somebody that enjoys doing that backend admin stuff all day long and then scales it and gets better at it, right? Yeah. To your point, right? You guys have been doing this for how long? Which makes me want to ask the other side of this coin for a second, right? Because the other question that I get a lot of is with the owners that I work with and a lot of them that reach out to me is they want to launch agencies. They want to start bringing on agents, right? They're like, you know what? We've got an office. We've got a couple people in here. We want to bring on some of our own agents, right? What are some of the expectations that the agents have like the real players, like yeah. the brokers that you deal with that are moving from you know agency to agency based on like the best fit that you know they kind of move around in the market to some degree based on whether or not they're getting what they should. Sure. What do they expect to see from a brokerage that is saying, "Hey, we now have an agent program"? Yes, yeah, like just so a bare minimum. An agent is typically going to want this. They're going to have the same expectations as the top. W-2 model brokerages out there. So your TQLs and CH Robinsons, right? They want support when they need it. They want a credit line approved for a customer when they need it. They want that credit line bumped when they need it. They want that certificate of insurance produced for their customer when they need it. They want a carrier approved when they need it, right? They want their technology to work. They want the support they need when they need it. Whereas if you're going to start bringing on agents, you are no longer just running your own book of business now you've got to take care of all those other folks that you bring on, right? It's so funny you said that because that was exactly, that was my response was, and I was like, honestly, I'm, you're going to be speaking with two of these people that this came up with in the past month. But I was like, I can tell you that when I was being recruited out of W2, that was my conversation. I'm like, if you want me to leave here, I need to know that you can provide everything that I get here, right? I got that the, you know, I'm not gonna be W2, you're not gonna handle my payroll, but the reality is if I'm gonna move my book of business, I need to know that like there is an ops department, that when the one-off random thing is, somebody can handle that. There's gotta be a claims department yep. or some way to handle that because I don't wanna deal with it. To be able to call when you have some weird hazmat issue and somebody that's gonna be able to like figure it out, research it. I mean, there's a lot. I want to make sure if I got a customer and they've got larger insurance requirements, you better have that or get it because yeah. if the value and the juice is worth the squeeze and they're offering me enough, I don't want to hear that like you can't afford the premium because it's too big, right? Exactly. Those were the conversations I remember. In fact, you and I were having when you and I met when I was at TQL. Oh yeah, yep. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And I've had people ask me too, they're like, well, you know, why would someone want to why would somebody want to have agents instead of W-2 employees? Like, why would you want to pay somebody more commission to do the same job as a W-2? And here's the answer. Think about the turnover in the W-2 world. The first six months on average that somebody is hired into the W-2 model, they may have, you have no idea if they're going to succeed, if they're going to catch on, if they're going to even last, if they're going to produce. Whereas with agents, yeah, you might be paying them twice as much or more in commission, but you're not paying a base. You're not having to go through an, a training period where they're just an expense and not actually, um, a, you know, a profit producing uh, portion of your company. You're, you're bringing in quality people that you vet out that you know They've done this job, they've succeeded at it. And not every agent works out, right? There could be cultural differences where the culture of my company may be, you know, different than what they're used to or what they want. You know, some people, they want a very corporate structured thing where, you know, there's a supervisor and the supervisor's boss is the director. And as an agent, in our case, you know, with Pierce, 
we're very, very transparent and, and we're laid back and it's a family owned organization and we treat our agents as if they're customers of ours, not like they're, you know, the peasant that's working there that, hey, you didn't make enough calls, right? We're, I coach agents all the time and I help my agents grow and I help them through big opportunities, um, but I don't teach somebody what freight brokering is. I, that's an expectation before they are a good fit for us that you already know the industry at a basic level. And here's the other real reality. From operating inside them is that's their largest overhead number. Um, the TQLs of the world, the big companies, their largest expense of growth is in hiring the people that don't make it and training those people that don't make it, right? And that's one of the main reasons non-competes exist is because they're literally training thousands of people that don't make it, that get sent off into the country again. And yeah. it's like, they're basically in some ways running just a paid, freight broker education for three, four, five months and then sending them off, right? And the vast majority don't make it. And that is a huge expense, right? So if you wanna scale and you got the choice of, I'm gonna hire 10, nine won't make it this year. That's a large number, right? Or I could bring on one agent out of the 10 that I can, cause you gotta recruit them. They're not just gonna find you either, I gotta imagine. Yeah. But like it's, it's a much, cheaper, lower risk, higher margin proposition for the business. Yeah, it is. They're they're not easy to find though. You, I mean, you could go to a college as a TQL or an Integrity Express or a Coyote or CH Robinson and you could hire a class of new trainees, right? Because they're all like, ooh, yep. you're gonna pay me a salary? It's my first big boy job. But in return, you don't know if they're gonna make it. Now on the flip side, typically an agent or someone that's already a seasoned broker, they know what they're worth and they know their value and then they know what they're looking for you know most times so there's a recruiting effort that's a lot stronger on the agent side versus the w2 side so what i have found in in, in the recruiting side that's all i did at first on the agent model was recruit all i did was go out there and see who was a good fit for the company and this is at a previous organization that i worked for and i quickly found out that the ones that seemed really eager to join on a first call and there was like no competition, they typically weren't a good fit because they weren't quality and they weren't sought after by the other other agent-based companies out there. The ones that were really, really good, they weren't as easy to, you know, come to, come to terms and be on the same page and have a decision made by them or essentially close them as a new agent if you wanna look at it that way because they knew mm -hmm. there, there could be five companies trying to recruit them all pitching the same thing. Hey, we're the best ones out there. We have this commission and this technology and we do this, that and the other thing and we're the best things since sliced bread. And at the end of the day, um, you know, you've gotta go through that pro It's the same way as prospecting a customer, right? You've gotta go through that whole relationship building and trust building process and be truthful. Because if you set a bad expectation and you don't carry through on it as a, as a brokerage owner to a new agent, they're not gonna last there. And then they're gonna tell everyone they know, don't go work for this company. Don't ever be an agent for them, they're terrible. They've got this idiot working here. You know, They treated me like garbage. It took them three days to get back to me on this question. You've gotta set proper expectations. And that's a big thing, right? Like, that's the other thing that I've had conversations, you know, with owners about saying, you know, like, oh, it seems like a great way to just add some revenue without having to add a lot of back end staff. And I'm like, it's kind of the opposite. Like, you need to be able to support them as if they are in your office yeah. all of the time for all of their needs. Because, and that was exactly what we were talking about. I'm like, there's competition amongst the people that have books of business. Cause guess what? They know what that book's worth. They created the value. They see every dollar of gross product profit that 
crosses their desk. Yeah. They know what goes to their company. They know what those things cost and they know what they're getting, right? Absolutely. And you're not the only person offering this. So if you don't have something competitive and you aren't in line with industry standards, like it's kind of just a waste of time to even pursue it if you're not going to be willing to put a like you said, a, com- a competitive offer out there for, because they're getting they're going to shop it against everyone else. Yeah. So I want to add another thing in there. You know, we talk about having to support your agents and your agent network. So I've I want to compare it to a, a trucking company that wants to um, inject a brokerage division to their company. Right. I've had a lot of you know seven to ten trucks. Right. And they're like, hey, we want to we want to be um, you know we want to open a brokerage division or hey, we want to open an agency so we can broker under your authority. And the one thing that, the one common thing that is either leads to their success or failure is do they have at least one person, if not more, dedicated to the brokerage side of it? Because if they don't, all they're gonna be focused on is covering their, or is get, loading their own trucks and tracking their own trucks and making the money for their trucks, not the brokerage. Same thing applies for adding agents to your company. You have to have staff to help manage and support your agents. You have to have, additional accounting folks and carry development reps and folks that do claims when you add more business in your organization. And that is exactly what um, our company and others out there that have succeeded have done right is they know, hey, we have to scale with the growth of our agent network, not just add agents, add agents, add agents, and then spread our people thin at the corporate office. So food for thought for those of you wanting to start an agent program. Um, it's like so- starting a brokerage right there's a learning curve and there's a lot of hurdles that you can you got to cross over you can do it it's just it's not it's not as um easy or as sexy as it might seem or as appealing as it might seem there's there's a lot of work that goes into it but it is a very rewarding thing if you can get some trusted folks in your organization um to ex- to expand your business that way so tell me a little bit about what the, where the differences in taxes tax wise yeah. so I mentioned 1099 versus W-2, right? The, the biggest thing here is that your paycheck as a W-2 employee, you're gonna be, your state, if you know, if you don't, if you live in one of the, was it 38 states that have a state income tax, like beautiful mm-hmm. New York state where I live, where we're like one of the highest. Um, and not where I live. Your employer, yeah, Tennessee, Florida, Texas, yeah, they don't Texas. have it. And I think Illinois, I don't know, there's, a, there's like 12 of them out there that don't have it. But if you have a state income tax, your employer withholds out of your paycheck your state tax, your federal income tax, and then your FICA, and that so that's your Social Security and um, Medicaid. Okay, and now if you go to a, become a 1099 agent, there is zero money withheld from your paycheck, from your commission check. Does that mean you don't have to pay it? No, it does not. You have to manage That's awesome. yourself. So not, <laughs> not going to pay the man. State and federal tax, your and the FICA. You're also playing paying your em, previous employer's portion of that FICA. So if you don't understand FICA, it's there's a 15.3 percent tax. It's called employment tax. That's broken up by said Medicare and or Medicaid and Social Security. Yeah, Social Medicare, Security. Medicaid. I always forget Medicaid, Medicare. Yeah. What the difference is? One's for people that are disabled, and one's for people that are old or whatever, or mm-hmm. whatever, ones for people that, that are poor, ones for people that are old, yeah. I, I forget which one's which. But anyway, I don't remember you that. now are taking on that additional half, so 7.65% tax hike that you're paying yourself, yep. right? Um, there's caps on it, so like you only pay um, part of that up to a certain 
dollar amount of income and then once you hit that level the other half of it actually increases so it's not a perfect 7.65% increase but that's the rough number on average um, so you're paying taxes yourself now how do you pay them right they're not being withheld you have to make quarterly estimates four times a year and send them to the IRS and to your state so like for example um, April 15th is tax day this year was April 18th because of the holiday everyone that's self-employed so you know whether you're you know you own a business or you're an agent or whatever you drive uber um you had to send in what you your estimated tax burden for the first quarter of the year and you'll do that three more times throughout the year uh, the last one ends up being in um january right for and that's actually like that's your that's your closeout you'll know how much you earned in the 12 month uh, calendar year. So, um, and hey, if you don't make quarterly estimates or you underwithhold, you'll get a penalty. Same thing as if you didn't fill out your W-4 properly when you took an employment job. Um, so you're paying your own taxes and that that uh, self-employment payroll tax as well. Does that make sense? Make perfect Which sense. is why a, a higher commission percentage is required. Because if, hey, hey, if I'm gonna pay an extra seven or 8% in taxes, and I'm not gonna make that an additional commission percentage, why would I do it? So, And that's a big number too, right? Like, I mean, 8% of what you make in an entire year, you're gonna be paying out in taxes that you weren't before, right? So, I mean, it's something to consider. And it's also something to consider when you're evaluating agencies or even small W-2s versus agencies, because yeah. that is the big difference. I mean, that's what they're gonna pay versus you. Yep. Um, and a lot of times, W-2s will give you um, also health benefits, when yeah. you aren't gonna see those in the 1099 world. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times, it's not uncommon for an employer to pay half, if not more, of the employee's Healthcare Health premium, right? Same with dental, and, vision, all that, right? And life insurance. matching, right? You don't get any of that yep. as an agent. You can't. Um, Disability. Exactly. Short term, long yep. term. All, a lot of those little things that are, and again, they come at a cost. And I'll tell you, for somebody that has done been on both sides of the fence, you get this, I always feel you get to spend your money more effectively when you are on the contractor side, but the flip side is you don't get the value and buying power of being with everyone else. So like yeah. you typically save money when you're with the big company, but the policies usually aren't as good as what you get by yourself. Exactly, so. you might spend a little bit more, right? But you have access to the open market. Same thing, think about 401k, right? A lot of people are like, well, I'm getting a match on my 401k, so I want to keep it here. You might only have like 10 funds to throw it into. Whereas if you, yeah. if you're an independent contractor, you can open up a. Um, you could put it in Bitcoin. You <laughs> it doesn't yeah, matter. Whatever you want. You, you can put it in. Want. And we're not, this, this is not a finance or retirement lesson, but you can do a SEP yeah. IRA. You can do a solo 401k. Um, your obviously your traditional and Roth IRAs, and you've got access to the entire open market, thousands and thousands and thousands of funds that are out there. Um, yeah, you're not gonna get the match, but you've got other options that are out there um, that you don't have as a W-2 outside of your your IRA, obviously. Um, so and that so that's the financial part of it, and the tax side of it, it's a little bit different. So I always recommend anybody that's an agent have a good tax person. So. If you just go to TurboTax every year and you know you pay your whatever it is, 20, 30 bucks and you file your stuff, it's a little bit more complex as a, as a 1099. You've got some stuff you can write off because um, you've got you know expenses now, right? I, I had to pay for my laptop, I had to pay for my internet or my phone bill or um, 
hey, I, I drove out to go see a customer in person or I had a meal with a customer, or whatever the case might be. Those you can write off when you're self-employed, which you, the IRS went away with a lot of the um, W-2 style business expenses um, I think like three or four well, years they, ago. So well, also they raised they raised the the uh, standard deduction right. to the point where like if you don't have a pretty large home or a mortgage, it doesn't really make sense to itemize. So even when I had thought that I did, I wasn't really even coming close to the threshold, and it was pretty high. Like I mean, the threshold for itemizing was like in the tens of thousands of dollars in expenses. And yeah. I was like, wow. I mean, as a married, spent- married filing jointly now, it's like 24,000 change or something like that. So if you're not gonna itemize over to that, take the standard deduction. Again, we're not, yeah. Ben, you no, and I are not, a, we're not tax pros, but we've been around enough. Not. So. Yeah, and I mean, the one thing I've learned on both sides is that I've always had a good accountant. It's worth spending the time to find one and it's worth trusting that person because yeah. I, I don't know. Such a big portion of our income and what we earn goes that way. So, so walk want, us through. I, I want to talk about moving your book of business yeah. in tandem with some of the legal aspects of this, okay? Yeah, walk us through like an example, like a real world example or something. Will do. So to preface it, right, a lot of W-2 folks, you signed a non-compete or a non-solicit or a confidentiality agreement or whatever the case might be. Check your employment contract. You can get it from HR and if you don't have a copy yourself. Um, you may want to do it pretty surreptitiously or you know, you know, in, don't do it in an obvious way where you're like, I need my employment contract. Do I have a non-compete? Because you, obviously you're raising a red flag. Um, so what you'll want to do is I always recommend um, Review your employment contract, and I always recommend have a legal professional also review it and look at what it clearly states. You know, is there a time time period in which they're telling you you can't go work for a competitor? Is there a geographical radius around it? Is there a um, you know a list of customers you can't touch? And I will tell you this: a non-compete or non-solicit that is broad typically is not enforceable. So for example, if I've seen ones that get shot down in court where they say, you can't work for two years anywhere in the US in this industry. And it's like, how am I supposed to make a living for my family? They don't They don't laugh. <laughs> a lot of companies, the bigger ones have gotten smart and they put a realistic radius. Hey, you can't work for a competitor within 25 miles of us for six months, right? And, and the judge may, you know, if they actually get that far, the judge may uphold that, you never know. I always find that so, so wait a minute, does that consist of where your customers are or where the business is physically located? I mean, like anything legally, it's whatever a judge wants to decide, but it's typically, you know, your um, your employer's office versus your new company's office. And it's kind of a gray area in the agent world because uh, like in my example, when I switched from my previous company to Pierce, I had a non-compete and I went through the legal mm-hmm. battle with it. And um, I had a radius, 50 miles, that I couldn't work within for a competitor, but my competitor was in a different state, in a different time zone, hundreds of miles away. And they argued, well, he's gonna work, he's gonna work from home, which is within this radius, and it's like, okay, so do you want me to get an, get an office space 51 miles away from you just to like, so I mean, but, it, but what it came yeah. down to was, we had a realistic negotiation, there was some legal stuff, and I agreed, I'm not gonna poach. I'm gonna go mm-hmm. off and do my own thing. You know, because of things that have happened in the past, it doesn't make sense for me to stay here. It's not gonna be good for for me long term 
with what I want. And you know, if if my if my ego or my soul leaves the door there, right? My work ethic leaves the door. My ass better follow it because I'm no good to the head company anymore if I'm not putting my you know my heart and soul into it. So we came to an agreement and we moved on. And it was all good. That's not the case with all companies. Some of the big W2s out there, TQL, CH Robinson, Integrity, they have legal departments whose job it is find where these guys and gals went, hit them up with legal letters, cease and desist letters, sue them if we need to. I've seen them go to court three, four, five years after they left, and they're still battling it out. Um, mm-hmm. So I have one of them around here. I didn't even pursue another job, and I got two or three of them just as a matter of sure practice that they just go yep. out automatically. Yep. Yeah, a lot of times at a bigger company, the you know when you leave, like next day they're gonna overnight certified mail, signature required, send you that um, a copy of your employment letter with a, a nice little reminder. Hey, by the way, you signed this. Don't be going to work anywhere else. Um, so that's my preface. It was kind of long winded, but you might have some legal. Um, challenges, so make sure you. So let's say they've worked through this. You worked yeah, through. Yeah, so let's okay. say they've talked. Yeah, they talked to their attorney. And the attorney says, "Hey, like this looks like it's way overreaching. Don't think it'll be an issue. You're yep. clear. Follow my. Or it's worth the risk, right? It's worth. It's the worth risk. paying yeah. the legal money to defend yourself if it comes to that. Um, so you got to move your book of business over, and if you have dedicated carriers, you got to move them with you too. And there, the way that you go about doing this is you, you need to get ahead of it, right? So I always recommend if someone's gonna switch, don't make a move, leave your company Friday, start the next Monday, and then call your customers and say, oh, <laughs> I'm over here now, send me your loads. It doesn't work that Who's way, Who's picking right? my loads up? So, so here's the things you have to look at. Um, talk to your customers. Are they able, do they, want, do they want to work with you? A lot of times they do, right? Because they built a relationship with you, not with the company that you work for. And they want to keep working with you and they'll work with you. So it's typically asking for um, their discretion like, hey, I'm going over here. I, I, I respectfully ask that, you know, we keep our business between us and, um, you know, don't basically don't go back and bat, tell my previous employer that they're so mean for, you know, not taking care of me, or if you have possible legal ramifications, don't go advertise it that you're working with them over another company, right? Same with mm-hmm. carriers. Um, so make sure your customer's business is going to follow you. Can they onboard your new company? Does your new company have the insurance that they need in place? Do they have all the technology or whatever you need in place? Do they have, you know, you name it, right? Fill in the blank. Is it a trans or a portable customer? That's why I call mm-hmm. it a portable book of business when somebody switches like that. Same with carriers, right? You might have a you might switch to a company and that carrier is like, dude, I've had a terrible experience with them. I'm not working. You know, they don't pay us on time. Um, mm-hmm. so you want to make sure that your go-to customers, your go-to motor carriers, have that transparent discussion with them. Just be upfront and honest. Like, hey, I'm making this move. It's better for me. It's better for you. It's better for my family. I'm gonna be able to support you better over here. I'm gonna be happier over here. We've got a better back office team that'll take care of you guys. They're paying carriers faster. We've got a way better reputation in the market with carriers, um, you know, stuff like that. So have that conversation. And then what I usually recommend is if if you know I'm gonna leave this company and I'm moving here, take a couple of weeks to plan that transition. I've had people take like over a month. They set up one or two customers. They move the business over as they're learning the new processes, the new software, right? And then they move a couple more and a couple more and they move them all over. On the flip side, I've had people that got fired or cut out of their company's system 
and they had to immediately and it's it's mm-hmm. more headaches but you can still do it it's just a lot more um a lot of more moving parts on your end um but i always recommend talk to your customers first be transparent with them so there's no like you know no surprise the same thing with any of your go-to carriers so uh, what are the um yeah. have you had any customers or are there any common issues that brokers run into with their customers not wanting to move other than the obvious ones like hey we just had a bad experience with that agency for whatever reason but apart um, from two, that one i can't imagine so two big ones that i've run into is they already have a, a an assigned rep at the new company uh, and mm-hmm. that company has a policy that states, you know, we're going to protect this account to broker that's already been here. Um, yep. Or it could be that on the same token there, they could be working. It could be that same rep at your customer. And they're like, well, I'm not going to give it to both of you. Like, I just want to give it to one of you. So it's just kind of weird. Yeah. The other thing is, hey, our company has a requirement. You've got to you've got to check the boxes on these, you know, in business for this long, carry this amount of insurance. Um, I've seen people that, that have the you. asset based, um, mm-hmm. you name it, right? And if but the, the, the first one brought up- is doesn't meet those or is not willing to pay for yeah. the insurance or whatever, I've seen that happen too. Those are the two biggest ones I thought of, and it, and it's a good point for anyone out there considering this is that you know make sure your customers are clear with the agency you're looking to go with make sure there aren't any restrictions on who you can prospect that somebody doesn't have a customer that you've been working to try to get you know what i mean you and i talked about that a long time ago where yeah. i think you ran into that where somebody was like just about to close a customer and someone at, i think it was maybe even an ldi like had that customer already and then yep. they couldn't actually use it once they got it so yep the other thing too is credit lines so different brokerages approach credit and payment terms differently. So mm-hmm. um, like for example, when I worked for LDI, they didn't make their own credit decisions. They used a third party company, submitted, well they, they had some subjective say, but um, they used a company that would tell them, here's their risk score and based on how we've set up with you guys and your choices, um, here's how much credit we're going to approve and insure for them because they had an insurance company that that basically insured their credit lines or a portion of them. Mm-hmm. So if a customer came up over their tolerance or over their risk level, they get denied, they're prepay only. Um, whereas like with Pierce and a lot of other companies that um, take, you know, I'm not bashing any companies because there's, there's a reason people have different decision making yeah. processes. But like with Pierce, uh, we'll take a subjective look. We're going to look at your the, a credit report, obviously. We're going to look at a customer's payment history, but there's always a subjective side to that. So for example, you know, customers that you, any that any company would look at, you know, in late 2020, they're gonna see likely a lot of payment issues and slow pays in the middle of the year because their mm-hmm. revenues dropped and they, they couldn't cash flow the same way that they could. The whole economy saw that in a lot of Everybody cases. did, yeah. <laughs> so things like that, or, Let's say that a customer is, they do a lot of project work and they, they pay in chunks like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, or let's say, you know, you're, let's say the new brokerage says, dude, they pay in 45 days and their margin's 8%. We're not giving them, you know, we're not gonna give them a credit line or bump it up. It's not worth it for us. And that's a business mm-hmm. decision you have to make. I, yeah. Um, so yep. you, it's, it, you know, so credit is another big part of it. So can, you know, do, can you, the new company, Will they let you work with them? Will they give you credit? Do they check the box 
on all the customer's requirements, will, will that brokerage sign your customer's contract and agree to their terms? That's another one, right? Because everyone looks at contracts differently. And then will the customer actually move with you? So that's it in a nutshell, man. I could talk about this for decades, but. There was a lot in there. There's a lot. So um, good stuff. Let's, uh, let's get into Q&A. First, shout out to our friends over at Lean Solutions Group. Again, check the affiliate link down in the description box on YouTube or the show notes or episode notes on your podcast app or player. Uh, Lean Solutions Group, this quarter, we're all focused on labor shortage, so make sure you check out their nearshore staffing options there. So leangroup.com, they have the nearshore model where they've got folks in offices down in Columbia, South America, trained for weeks and weeks and weeks um, on transportation, and then you get to pick and choose and hire folks to join your team, whether it's staffing for the administrative side, account management, um, operations, track and trace, you name it. Check them out at leangroup.com. Today's question, so the first one, this is good. It was kind of a long paragraph from one of our listeners, um, but they essentially said, hey, we've got a customer of ours that is local, and they want us to coordinate the delivery of some stuff, the installation of this stuff, and all that. Is that something that we can do as a broker? Is that a different license, or how does this work? Um, and here's your answer. You can definitely do that as a freight broker. Um, you have the same requirements and restrictions that a freight broker has. So, for example, you you know if you don't have a motor carrier asset authority, you can't be driving the trucks that do this, right? Um, you're a broker. It's your job to coordinate and contract that transportation. So you have to hire uh, legally authorized and insured motor carriers. And a lot of times you'll have these local. It's called like white glove service. You'll have these local um, companies. They might have. Um, like your Mercedes Sprinter, Sprinter vans, van or yep. what's that? Sprinter vans, small box trucks. Box trucks like. with a lift gate on them, right? Because it could be, mm -hmm. let's say um, your customer ships um, home theater stuff or like, you know, audio visual stuff and they want they want to offer the full solution. Like, hey, their customer is buying, they're opening up a new store and they want everything delivered and installed. Well, you can hire a, um, a motor carrier to do that and a lot of times they'll include with it. Some of these specialized companies will do the unload, will do the install, full white glove service will take care of everything for you. And that's, you know, that's, that's who you're paying. So yes, as a freight broker, you can do that. That's called white glove service. It's a very specialized niche. Um, and a lot of times in a local area, these the carriers and companies that do these, that own the trucks and do the installations, they typically have the customers directly, so there's not a lot of room for brokers to be involved, but the question came from an opportunity that this broker has. So yeah, you can absolutely get involved in that. Make sure your margin's calculated in, um, and you're not gonna have any surprise add-on charges from the carrier for, hey, you know, actually we're, it's gonna cost you an extra 500 bucks because we had to do this. Uh, make sure that you, that's all figured in there. Second question. What TMS do you recommend for a budget-focused broker? And to be specific, they asked, um, you know, I want to keep it under $900 a month. So, which we don't know if it's just them or if it's a team of 10 or 50 or what. Um, we have checked out and used and are fans of Ascend TMS and Rose Rocket TMS for um, for newer brokers, not just newer brokers too, like folks that are, um, as you grow, right? Uh, as, you know, as Tim from Ascend is, we, he's told us himself like, hey, we can do 80% of 
every TMS out there. So there's still gonna be some things that you know we're not customized to your company for, but you're getting the bulk majority of what you need in this cost-effective platform, right? And, and there's tons of it. carriers in it. Like they they really scaled that. The amount of carriers that go on their internal internal load board with Innocent and just go through their platform is enormous now because they run just such a high volume of loads through Ascend. <clears throat> Mostly because I think they got some deals with some of the much larger 3PLs that also push their loads through there. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Um, so I would check out Ascend and Rose Rocket. They're both really nice uh, web-based, very user-friendly, nice user interface. Um, they both have that freemium version where you can basically try it out, like try before you buy. Ascend <clears throat> gives you a free month and Rose Rocket lets you test it out for I think a month or they have, maybe it's like a, a watered down version. And then Ascend they will have even a just freemium. give you the free version for life if you want it. It's yeah. very, very, very bare bones. but. When you're paying for them, they're nice. They're nice platforms, especially if you're a newer broker. And they're, I mean, I want to say like Ascend is under 100 bucks a month. I think it's like 80 yeah. per user. And then Rose Rocket, theirs was, I think it might have been based off of loads, load volume. I forget their exact yeah. pricing. They've, I mean, we we had them on for an episode, and they're they have a um, a sales. You just see that episode specific needs on it. Yeah, but. just. Throw it in YouTube, throw in Rose Rocket and Free360, you'll find yep. a full interview on it. And then use, like I said, they, we have an affiliate with them, so um, we've checked them out, we've vetted them. We don't just vet, you know, we don't just vouch for anyone's software or solution out there unless we've, it's tr tried and tested, so. Um, all right, last one, and this is, I love reading this. And I, I remember I asked this question when I was new, is how did brokers work the spot market before the internet, right? Because everything's on like, online now. So I knew the second one, didn't know the first one. Yeah, so D, so here's the first one is DAT. The name originally came from dial a truck. So every morning, and this is the same way that brokers and shippers used to work together is they would fax their loads over in the morning. Mm -hmm. So a broker would fax their shipper, or I'm sorry, a shipper would fax their broker loads in the morning, or a shipper would fax a trucking company their loads in the morning. That's how they would work it out. Now brokers and carriers, DAT or dial a truck was the, the centralized um, they would aggregate all this data, right? So brokers would submit all of their available loads and carriers would submit their um, available trucks and their desired lanes and destinations. And then the carriers and the brokers would request, hey, can you send me you know, trucks that are available in here? Or trucks would say, hey, can you send me the loads that are available to ship out of here? And that's how it was done. They would fax stuff in the morning. This is like back in the early 80s, um, but that's how it was done. And then the second part of that is is at truck stops, right? So obviously we know truckstop.com was originally called Internet Truck Stop or ITS, and it, it's like DAT in our load boards has replaced what literally was called a load board at a truck stop. There'd be a board a or a board. TV in later years full of the available loads there that brokers would have posted up there. So a broker would call in or fax on their list, here's all my loads I have for the next whatever, couple of days or week, and drivers, when they get to a truck stop, they could see. So if they know, hey, I'm um, I'm delivering tomorrow morning around the corner from here. Here's all the loads that I can call on for my next shipment to haul. That's literally that's how it was done, man. And you know? that's I remember my first customer um, happened to be a guy that came from that generation. Like um, he was still he was running the brokerage for an asset company. 
and he had been there since the late 70s. This guy had to be oh, late mid 60s when I first started working with him. He was like his last couple months on the job. And then I worked with the guy he trained and it was just really funny because their carrier base was a holdover from that generation. It was literally books of paper with carrier names through it. And then he had to put it all in the computer and then put it all into Excel and then put their emails in there. But this guy, as late as 2016, was brokering like a significant amount of loads. I'd say 30, 40 loads a week, maybe close to 50, like old school phone numbers calling them and working off his load list that had grown and changed since he was in the 80s. I told you this story before, and I think I've mentioned on the show, I had a guy like six or seven years ago, and I remember asking him like, hey, what what software are you using now? And he's like, Nate, pencil and paper, man. He was old school, He he never wanted to change. Everything he did, was the old school way, and you know some people they don't want to change their ways. Um, and if it works for you, it works for you. But for those of you and that I'll like technology and stuff on the internet now, um, there's a lot of tools out there. So yeah. So that's all I got, man. That was a that was a episode lot. packed full of information. As a last as a last shout out, I know I talked a bit about Pierce Worldwide Logistics and you know the agent program. Um, if you're interested and you, you want to learn about Pierce and about our agent program and the opportunities there, just reach out to me directly. You can send me a message on LinkedIn or on uh, Facebook or right through our Freight 360 website if you want to. I get those emails. Um, feel free and reach out. I've had I've had a, a dozens that have reached out in the past. Like I said, you know, if you're brand new, it's not a good fit. We don't you know we don't train folks on how to broker. We're looking for folks that are experienced have a quality book of business that can move with them because uh, we're offering a top-notch program. So that's kind of the, that's the trade-off there. Um, what do you got for closing final thoughts here? Not much. We covered a lot in here, man. I'm kind of yeah. like tuned out. Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go build. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the Contact Us form on our site and we'll see you next week. 